0: use our Bibles here a little bit as we get started, so uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19, but I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple other passages here, so don't get comfortable in Genesis 19 to begin with. Um, I just want to open with uh, an illustration. Um, If you've ever had a stress test, do you know what a stress test is? Yeah, you guys are like students. You live in stress world, right? Uh, But I'm talking uh, more on a cardiological aspect, right? Uh, A stress test. It's an exercise that helps determine how well your heart responds when it's working its hardest. It typically involves running on a treadmill while hooked up to an EKG to monitor your heart's activity. So I've had a couple. I have a local cardiologist, Dr. Brian Marino. He's a good guy, young guy, love him. Um, so I'm on the treadmill doing my stress stress test. And I love this guy, because he like takes no crap from anybody. He just walks in, and I'm about at the end of my rope. I mean, the, the mill's going, and I can barely breathe any longer. He, he goes, you got more. <laughs> I'm like, really? I think I'm about to do one of those things where you stop, and the treadmill runs you off the <laughs> machine. Uh, so. I'm saying all that to say that today, uh, y'all are gonna be subjected to a stress test uh, on a spiritual level. Uh, You're gonna be subjected to a spiritual stress test. The word of God is gonna be hooked up to your heart and it will be used to check the health of your heart. And uh, truthfully, I hope it stresses you big time like it has me. Uh, So before we begin, um, reading Genesis 19, I want, to, um, I want to deal the full deck of cards out to you. So go back to Luke 17. In the New Testament, Gospel of Luke 17. And uh, we're reading this because I want this to stay in our minds while we're going through Genesis 19. As we subject ourselves to a spiritual stress test. Uh, Genesis, or sorry, Luke 17, verse 28. Luke 17, 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Life was good. Life was really good, actually, in Sodom where Lot and his family were living. Housing starts were up. Stock market was up. You could make money. You you had a good living in that place. It says, verse 29, But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus is talking. These are his words. So right away, we learn that The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a real story. And Lot was a real man. Jesus just validated that. He said, verse 30, Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Interesting. So as it was in ancient history, so it will be in modern history. Fire is going to come down and judge people and places. Verse 31, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember, Lot's wife. That's Jesus talking to the church. That's Jesus talking to the church. And he's saying, which means what he's just told us is that learn a lesson from Lot's wife. So that means we are to read Genesis 19 from a perspective of what's this saying to me today? Verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. One other portion in the New Testament while we're here, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. This is the only other time that Lot is mentioned in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2, you're just a little bit before Revelation. If you move to the right from Luke, 2 Peter 2 verse 4, we'll start there. The reason I'm starting in verse 4 is this is a long, run-on sentence. (laughs) Takes a while for Peter to put a period at the end of this baby. But he says here in verse 4, 2 Peter 2.4, If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example. Interesting. Making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, parenthesis, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Back now to our run-on sentence. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And he said that to us. And so as we read Genesis 19... We have every reason to be mindful, to learn a lesson from Lot's wife. Peter doesn't say remember Lot, but he tells us learn a lesson from Lot. And if it wasn't for Peter, when we read Genesis 19, we wouldn't even think Lot was a Christian. And I'm using Christian in a more generic term. We wouldn't think that he was a believer. But thank you, Peter, for informing us that he was, in fact, saved by faith And because of that, God gave him his righteousness. Righteousness was imputed into his life. He was a righteous man. Peter tells us that three times. So we're to learn a lesson from Lot as well. There you go. Now we can go back to Genesis 19 and we'll breeze our way through this exciting story. It's quite interesting that uh, what... What's going to happen here, friends, if you're not familiar? uh, You ought to be familiar. It's interesting that Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. He presumed the disciples understood the story. And all he had to say was, remember Lot's wife. It wasn't a question. He goes, do you remember Lot's wife? No, he goes, remember. It's a command. It's something that we should take heed to. So we'll learn about this as we go. She turned back. She disobeyed because her heart was still in Sodom. She became a pillar of salt. We learn from Lot that he tormented his soul from living in a place that was really bad. We have a lot to learn today. I'm going to challenge us as we close out the the sermon. Uh, This is a story, chapter 19, is really a story of judgment. And it's quite startling because you have a very sudden judgment, which was cataclysmic. Fire and brimstone coming down from God and destroying the place and the people. The other judgment was on Lot, but it was very gradual. It wasn't sudden. It happened slowly over time. And that in fact it happened over the course of about more than two and a half decades. Because Lot was came out of Ur of the Chaldees with his uncle Abraham. And we're told in Genesis 12 that Abraham was 75 when he got into the promised land. And we learned in the last chapter that Abraham was 99. So Lot's been around for a long time. Spent most of his time here in Sodom. One judgment was sudden and cataclysmic. The other was gradual and pathetic. Verse 1. Now the two angels, now the two angels, chapter 18, chapter 19, are one long narrative. Chapter 18, we closed out that chapter with Abraham uh, having entertained, shown some hospitality to three men, it said. One of those three was the Lord himself, the other two were angels. After they enjoyed a meal together with Abraham, Uh, two of the angels journeyed down to Sodom. Verse 22 in chapter 18, if you want to look at it, it says, The men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Well, now we pick up the story. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. I don't know why they wanted to do that, honestly, but that's what they said. Now, brothers and sisters, these are angels. They've come from heaven. These are angels. They have no sin They have come from God's holy glory and they have assumed a human form. So much so that I'm not sure Lot even recognized them as angels. But there was something about them that caused him to leave his place at the city gate and go out and to bow down to them, much like Abraham did when he saw them. They're angels. Lot was sitting in the gate in Sodom. By the way, Lot's name means covering. Isn't that interesting? His name means covering. (laughs) And we're going to see that that's in fact the way Lot lived. He put a basket over his light. He covered up his true identity. Or he lived in such a way that it became a joke. And you're going to see as we go through this that nobody regarded his word. The angels were like, Nah, I don't think it's wise to go spend a night in your house, Lot. The men of the city are going to completely deny his plea for righteousness. And then his own sons, son-in-laws, are going to laugh at him. He lost his witness. Why? Because his walk didn't match his talk. And when he finally dared to open his mouth, everybody goes, ha, ha you are telling us? Fascinating, huh? So Lot's name means covering. He's sitting in the gate. You all know what the gate means, right? In the Bible, the gate is a place of authority. It's power. It's where business transactions were taking place, right? Uh, It's a place where legal matters were settled. It's a place where legislation was established. The gate was kind of everything, right? Remember Boaz, right? When he redeemed Ruth, he did it at the gate of the city of Bethlehem, right? The gate was a place where things happened, and it's a place where people tended to congregate. Lot evidently was a sort of a prominent person, but I want to show you there's a progression in Lot's life that, needs, that we need to be reminded of. It's very important in the, in the, in the story. So go back to chapter 13, and I We'll just breeze through this. Chapter 13 in Genesis, verse 10. You see, remember, as I already told you, Lot followed his uncle Abraham out of Iraq. That's where the Mesopotamia was. Iraq, Iran, right? Over in that area. He followed him and he lived with him. And Lot actually traveled down to Egypt with Abraham and back again. Lot actually acquired and said, had his own little startup which became a pretty profitable business. Abraham was a farmer, cattle and sheep and goats and donkeys and camels, right? Lot also was a farmer, but it got to a point where the two of them ran out of pasturage and they needed to separate. So conflict arose between their respective herdmen and Lot. Rather than yield to his uncle Abe, he just... Abe yielded to him. And he said, look, man, this isn't working. We're not getting along. And for the sake of unity, how about you just pick whatever property you want, and then I'll distance myself so that we can, we can get along. So Lot's like, okay, thank you. Good idea. Verse 10, Genesis 13:10. Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw, or he looked, at all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go go toward Zoar. Okay, Zoar yeah so that's what he did. Salat looked, he saw a place that was really good for pasturing his cattle. He had a lot pun intended. (laughs) He wanted more. I want you to understand that. That's key to understanding. We're going to learn a lesson from Lot. and We're going to learn a lesson from his wife. Because they both had the same problem. He looked and he liked what he saw. She looked back. Interesting. He looked with interest is what the word means there. He goes, I've got some stuff. I want more. He was greedy. Lot was materialistic, hedonistic, just like us. He's a righteous man. He believes in God. It started with a look, and then it was a choice. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed. He looked, he chose, he moved, and he pitched his tent near Sodom. No problem. This was all right. He's down there, but he wants more. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, probably an appropriate time to put that on the screen and read that and look at it with our eyes. It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs or sorrows, which is exactly what happens to Lot at the end of his life. Okay, so he lived near Sodom. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says, uh, chapter Genesis 14, 12, they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So he started with a look and a decision. And he's a believer in God. I got to believe that there must have been a question in his mind. It's like, dude, what are you going after in this world? Is it really all about how much more you can get? But apparently he ignored that and he went after it. And now he's living in Sodom and we come to chapter 19 and he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. All right. Lot had become a pro- so back to Genesis 19. I promise we'll move through this quicker than it might seem, but we—it's important that we get a good start as we get going here. All right. I just want to say this again. Lot had become a prominent man in town, but he hid his light under a basket. Salt has lost its flavor. Kent Hughes says this. Lot had said little or nothing about his faith, that is. Forthrightness would have jeopardized his standing. Lot had mastered the craft of turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the social and sexual abuses of Sodom. He did not do them. He did not approve of them, but he did not speak out against them. Blasphemies and filthy speech were met with Lot's benign smile and deft deflection, It is possible, hear this, it is possible to be distressed by the world while holding on to it for dear life. You are now on the stress test machine because that's what the Lord's going to examine in our lives. How closely are we attached to the things that we have? How much do we find our identity in, in, in meaning in life In this world. God bless you Eric for the songs you chose today taking us up to the world that's coming. The world the Lord is reigning. Streets of gold. Well picking back up. Lot wants to show hospitality. Hear now my Lord's verse 2. Please turn into your servant's house. Spend the night. Wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. I don't know about you, but I get the strong impression, having just read Abraham hosting the same two guys <laughs> earlier in the same day, Abraham seemed to be way more chill. Lots on edge. He's he's trying to serve two masters, and you can't do it. He's trying to increase his bank account. He's trying to get the big job, so to speak, and. Serve the Lord at the same time while living in a terrible place. So he's all anxious and, and so on. It says, and they said, no, but we'll spend the night in the open square. Well, Lot knew where he lived, it tells us in verse 3. But he insisted strongly. No, no, don't do that to yourself. Please don't do that. He insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast, baked unleavened bread and they ate. Interesting, because when Abraham told Sarah to make bread, he said, knead the bread, which means they had leaven in it. You knead, it rise, you knead, it rise, you bake it. Nice big puffy loaf of bread. Lot's like, I don't have time for that. Really? You got all night, bro. He goes, no, no. We just got to get these men fed. I'll tell you what, by the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that the angels seem to have the ability to change their mind? They're like a mission from God. Like, no, we're going to do this. Well, I don't really think you should do that. Well, okay. (laughs) Interesting, these angels have this... I I don't know about you. I kind of think it's interesting, that's all, (laughs) just to observe these angels. Because remember, they're ministering spirits. These are spiritual beings with no sin, which I get the sense that they have a direct connection and that they're hearing what the Lord is saying on the minute by minute. It's like that little earpiece, right? Yep, what do you want, Lord? Okay, street? No, okay, go with them, go. Okay, we'll go. (laughs) Well, verse four, now it gets gross. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, old and young, all of them, from the whole city. They surrounded Lot's house. He's inside. He's sitting at the table. And it said feast. He made them a feast. It literally means a banquet. And when you look at the word throughout the Old Testament. It often refers to wine is involved. It, it's, a, it's an occasion for some, some good wine with your meal. Abraham served milk <laughs> and a little bit of cheese with the bread and the meat. So they're just inside, candlelight, there's no electricity, right? It's, they're just candlelight, it's evening, Everybody, it's time to, lay, time to go to bed. It's like, I don't know what time you guys go to bed. Well, you're all going like this. Maybe you haven't gone to bed yet. I don't know. You're doing an all-nighter. Yeah, right? Carlton's yawning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, anyway, it was, apparently it was time. They'd had a meal. Um, well, little did they know that outside of their home, all the men, young and old, had surrounded the house. And then all of a sudden, they hear them, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. And Lot is like, oh no, that which I feared has come upon me. They called to Lot and they said, where are the men that came, who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So what's that mean? Anybody? That we may know them. That we can talk to them? No. It means what well, you might think. It means that they wanted to have a homosexual relationship. Okay? Homosexuality is sin. It is. Okay? Let me read a couple verses. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 20. Let me just read this to you. Yeah. Leviticus 18, verse 20. You shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Wait a minute, Pastor Scott. I thought you were talking about homosexuality. Yeah, I'm going to. It's a sin, just like adultery, just like bestiality, just like pedophilia. It's a sin. Because the Holy Spirit, who's writing Leviticus, goes on. He said, you shall not lie with a man like you do with a woman. It's an abomination. You shall not mate with any animal to defile yourself. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman both of them have committed an abomination they will be put to death and that's all surrounded by the same context that I've just related to a minute ago no one's born a homosexual brothers and sisters no one's born that way it's not in a genetic code it's a decision. It's a yielding to the desire, to the feeling that they have for sexual satisfaction outside of what's normal, what God designed. Rosaria Butterfield says this, homosexual, homosexual orientation, as described today, is an unbiblical category of personhood because it redefines sinful desire as something that defines who you are rather than how you feel. Homosexuality or any sexual perversion can be forgiven. Praise the Lord. In fact, it already has been. And for anybody that will repent and look to Christ by faith will be saved will be forgiven. However, and this is not a but, it's just the other option, unbelief in the truth of God's word makes it so you can't be forgiven. Because when you've denied the absolute truth, where God defines morality, then you're left to your own description of what's right or wrong. now you're in trouble. Listen friends, conscience is effective, but it's infallible. Your conscience can be a good guide, but you can be misguided by your conscience because of our sinful desires. These people didn't have a law, there was nothing, they didn't have Leviticus, they didn't have Ten Commandments, but they had a conscience, and they've got, they've got a, a man who, who knows God living in their midst, who wimped out, to be honest, because I think it would have put his, his financial success at stake. It's interesting to me that Lot apparently sold the farm. The whole reason he moved down that area was to get greater pasturage. Apparently he sold the farm, bought a house. Now he's living large, kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, (laughs) Off to the hills they go. Beverly Hills, that is, right? Got themselves a home. It's the first time the word house is used in the Bible. And there's streets and there's a walled city with a gate. So back to the text. It says, bring them out. Verse 6, so Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind them. I'll tell you what, I give that man a lot of credit here. That took some guts. That really did. I mean, these guys are they're militant actually, and they're willing to go violent. And Lot, he stood out there all by himself. And I give that took some guts, man. And he said, please, my brothers, do not do so wickedly. Now I think he's just he's approaching them in a very friendly manner. Said, please, my brothers. Please, brothers, listen. He said, see now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do with them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. Interesting, right? And they said, stand back. And they said, this one came in to to sojourn here and he's acting or he keeps acting like a judge. They recognize Lot was a foreigner and yet he's become this man in a prominent position and recognized within the city. And they're like, Who do you think you are telling us what's right or wrong? And so they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men, that is the men, the angels, the men, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Interesting. Lot's always their hands. The hands of the angels are important here. They pulled Lot in before it got terrible. And then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they became weary to try to find the door. It's really interesting. Interesting. It's an intriguing story. Uh, Just the shock. I mean, it's nighttime, right? So they're probably holding torches, and then all of a sudden, everything goes dark. It was like the power went out, and they dropped the torch. They grabbed their eyes. It's like, what's going on? And then they You know, it's like trying to hit a pinata. You spin the person around, they're totally disoriented. They can't find the door all of a sudden. But they kept trying. My goodness, they kept trying. So, weird, weird. Uh, Weird that Lot would say that about his own kids. That's hard to read. Right? Um... Under the sacred obligations of hospitality, it was often understood that a guest was to be protected more than one's own family. This is a Middle Eastern culture. It was often understood that the guests were to be more protected than your own family. Maybe that's where Lot was coming from. Just let me just say one word about that. Look, if tradition is trumping the truth, then throw the tradition out, especially when it's religious tradition. Okay? Tradition is not on par with God's truth, which was embedded in, in Lot's struggling, vexed mind. Interesting. They said, stand back. This one came in to stay here. He keeps acting like a judge. And so they got blind. You know, it's true that blindness... Always precedes judgment. It's hardness of heart that caused blindness. They were blind before the, the angels actually struck them with blindness. <clears throat> Which I think it's interesting that it's the one healing miracle that Jesus did more of than any other. At least that's what we have recorded. I think there's eight different... Uh, records of the Lord healing blindness, which makes perfect sense because he came to take over the heart. It's like, man, if I can just give you some spiritual insight, then maybe you'll believe in me and we'll live together because that's what I want to do. So the people involved in homosexuality are often offended because we don't give hearty approval to their actions. In their eyes, absence of approval is unforgivably Judgmental again, Kent Hughes. I thought that was profound enough to share with you. So the angels intervened, they rescued Lot, they put their hands on him and pulled him into the house. Right? They took hold of his uh, hand and pulled him in or pulled him into the house. Well, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot. Have you, these are, now we're back in the house, okay? The men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son in law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Now he knows why they're there, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. We're on mission from God. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons in law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his son's-in-law, he seemed to be joking. He had no credibility. I was like, really? Come on, pops. (laughs) If it's that bad, why didn't you move out a long time ago? Well, when the morning dawned, I don't know if anybody slept that night inside Lot's house. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. It's very interesting to me that Lot spoke in verse 14, almost identical to the way the angels speak to him here in verse 15. He came to his sons in and he said, up, move, it's urgency. There's importance here and so on. Anyway, verse 16, while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that Lot said, or they said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Lot said to them, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He said to them, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Zoar. Zoar was part of, uh, it was a little group of five cities. Sodom was sort of the leading city, Gomorrah. And then there was these other three. And they all had the same issues inside those cities. But Lot apparently, uh, really what happens once he's uh, grabbed a hold of by the angel's hands, it becomes a case study for living by fear instead of faith. He so had not been living faithfully for the Lord that when trouble came, he was just full of fear. I think he'd been full of fear before he ever got pulled out of the place. And, and now he's like, I can't imagine. that You're telling me to flee? I can't go to the mountains. Oh my God, my life's just unraveled before me. He's completely undone. And he's like, let me go. just go to this little city. I'll just go into this little city. I know that there's issues there similar to Sodom, but I can deal with that one. Okay, apparently the angels have the right? They're making decisions on their feet. Okay, Lot, go ahead. We'll give you that. And so he went there. Fascinating. Verse 16, I want to just point a couple things out to you here in that little portion. Verse 16, while he lingered. (laughs) I looked up lingered in the dictionary. Lingered means stay in a place longer than necessary because of a reluctance to leave. While he lingered there was a reluctance to leave. He was unwilling. He was disinclined. While he lingered, they took hold of his hand. All right, friends. How does God take hold of your hand today and pull you out of temptation? Answer, he doesn't. Instead, He gets a hold of your heart. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, then he pours his precious Holy Spirit into your life. And now the Holy Spirit shines his light in the motives of my heart, and I can respond to that. And I escape the temptation that's making my hands all sweaty. And my heart thump out of my chest as i run for the refrigerator door <laughs> just trying to bring a little levity here that's all you know the famous verse first corinthians 10:13 there's no temptation that has taken you which is not common to man but god is faithful you guys probably know this verse But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Great verse, right? Do you know the next verse? Paul says, therefore, flee idolatry. Make a choice. Move your feet. Get out. Get away. Put the phone down. Get out of the room. (laughs) God's not going to take your hand. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. He's giving you the word, which is like a mirror. It's like that stress test machine. And it's testing the health of your heart. And when you're running and you're running and you're running, and 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 the word of God is saying, what are you doing? What are you going after? Can I be with you? I'm too busy, Lord. He lingered. He lingered because he liked where he lived. He was reluctant to leave, even though they have told him what's going to happen. The other thing I just wanted to point out to you is verse 22, which is a great verse. This is the angels who are speaking on mission from God. They said, hurry, escape, for I cannot do anything until you Get out of here and get over there. I cannot do anything. That is the answer to Abraham's prayer. Are you going to judge the righteous with the wicked? And the answer is no. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That is solid rock right there, brothers and sisters. That is solid rock on which I stand, right? Which is Jesus' righteousness given to me. I am saved from the wrath of God. Praise the Lord. I love that verse. I hope you love it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I them and him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Verse 23, we'll move along. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained fire, brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. It came from God. God judged. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. His wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Which really isn't that weird when you stop to think about all the stuff that's flying around in the air at that moment and just covering her. She just got like, uh, yeah, whatever. It's interesting. Lot looked at Sodom. She looked back. Lot married a woman after his own heart. Verse 27, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. He saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the land or in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. Well that's interesting. So Lot Was so afraid to go to the mountains in the first place, and then the angel permitted him to go to the city. Well, then he couldn't, he couldn't, he was freaking out in the city. And so he, out of fear, it drives him up into the mountains. Fear had driven him to Zoar, fear drove him out again, fear had brushed aside the call to go to the mountains and the pledge that he would be protected in the land. My question is: Lot, why don't you go back to Abraham? Take your wife. Well, she's gone, and your two kids, and just move back to your uncle. He doesn't. You know, you never hear anything about Lot praying. You never hear him say anything about God. Lot went up out of Zoar, dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. He and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. You know what's interesting? Caves are often used for tombs. You couldn't have a more apt picture. He starts by living with Uncle Abe, and he ends up in a cave. Man of the tombs. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. There's no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Where'd they get wine? They bring it with them? Is that one of the things they stashed with them and they ran out of Sodom? I don't know. Maybe they brought it from Zoar. But let's get dad drunk and then we'll see if we can get pregnant by him. So they made their father drink wine and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with dad last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, and that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose, lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she got up. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with, the chi- with child by their father. The firstborn, son, or firstborn bore, bore a son called Moab. Y'all know Moab, right? Ruth was from Moab, famously. And the other was born, uh, became the father of the people of Ammon. Weird irony, is it not? Lot offered his two daughters to all those men, and now he's sleeping with them. That's a weird twist of fate. Lot's daughters were motivated by economic desires, not by perverted sensuality. They sought the social security that only children could provide. Where did they learn that? From their dad. Nice job, dad. Your daughters are learning to live by fear, not by faith, because you live by fear, not by faith. I'm sure he didn't teach them that, but they sure caught it interesting. That's the last we hear of Lot. There's not even a record of his death. It's just there, living in a dark, damp, cold, lonely cave. All right, brothers and sisters, punchline. I want to say to you, I want to declare a fast, a fast starting tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Go to Tuesday night at 6 p.m. I want you to fast from food and your phone. Look, I understand. Phones have become an important tool. Use them for your texting if you need to. Make a phone call. For God's sakes, don't take a selfie. That's not the point. That's the whole reason. Stop gramming and chatting and all the other stuff and streaming. Fast from food and your phone. Why? We're fasting for love. Because as I come out of this stress test, I find that I like this world. I like the stuff that I have. And if the Lord said, run, I'm like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> I like some of these things we need to fast didn't Jesus say well he did say if anyone come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me daily so we'll just have one 24 hour period of time 6pm to 6pm you life groupers you come to my house Tuesday night we'll break fast together All right, be good. And I want you to do it. I need you to do it. Because here's what happens when the when the urge arises, and I'm, you know, my precious phone, whatever, right? Or I want food. That's when you pray. As soon as the urge arises for food, you pray. Kill the flesh. Put it down. Crucify the thing that wants to control you. Bring yourself to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm praying. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters that are fasting with me because this world has got a grip on us. There is way too much sensuality in the church. Way too much materialism in the church. Learn a word this week. Voyeurism. I didn't know what it meant. Maybe you know. It means you watch people who do it. If you know what I mean by do it. And then there's way too much people who are doing it. We need to fast. We're coming off this stress test machine and the Lord's like, my sons, my daughters, return to your first love. What is first love? It's Jesus. It's when we met Jesus and we realized how much he's forgiven me and how much he loves me and what extent he went to to save my soul. That's love. And in response to that, you, we give ourselves up. And I think it's just good at this point in time in, in, in the health of the church that we just have a time to, to stop for a moment. And the urges will come. I use my phone a lot, so do you. I don't use it as much as you do. Some of you are addicted. You don't even know it. You're addicted to your phone. Some of you are addicted more than others. You are addicted. It is a drug to you, and you are dependent on it. You look at yourself all day long in this stupid thing, and you tell everybody else, you show everybody else what you're looking at, and they're showing you. It's pathetic. Stop for 24 hours. And don't eat. Drink water. You know, when you have a fast, they always give the caveat. Well, if you have medical condition, that's a good thing to be aware of. It's not likely, as I look around the room, that any of us qualify for that. We all can go without eating for a day. As Frank and Oz Heartbreakingly revealed, right? The little bellies over there that they experienced, we can do it. But when I know that you're doing it, when you're fasting, boy, that strengthens me. When I'm ready to to run for something, a food or a, a quick fix on my phone, it's like, no, no, my brother radio, he's fasting. I know Eric's fasting, I know Reggie's fasting. Well, my brothers and sisters are fasting with me, and I want to come back next Sunday. And they're going to go, "How'd you do?" Praise the Lord. It was hard, but we did it. Remember from whence you were fallen, Jesus said to the church. I'm not center in your life anymore. Everything else has become meaningful to you more than me, more so than me. Remember from whence you were fallen and return to your first love. Repent and return. All right? If you want even more support, I don't mind telling you. You all got friends that go to other churches? Tell them. Hey, would you fast with me? We'll start tomorrow night. I'll be honest. One of the reasons I wanted to do it, because Tuesday's Halloween. like I want to fast you know one thing a little secret I discovered in the different times that I fasted in my life is that when I start praying for other people I start to care less about my own appetites whatever they might be And and it just stirs up a greater hope and there's so many people that need prayer amen let's stand and we'll pray hard to read this stuff, Lord. Frankly, I'm surprised you put it in the Bible. It's so graphic, so pathetic. And then we read that you told us to remember Lot's wife. She, her body was out, but everything about her was still back there to her own ruin. And Lot made shipwreck of himself. So thank you, Lord, for the thought to fast together. May you be glorified and make some headway in our life. Advance us in our love for you and our willingness to live faithfully, to sin less, to hate the sin especially the pride. Oh my God, Lord, that is the most horrible thing. It's so deceiving and so delightful. Please help us, Lord. And I pray that you would revive the church, revive us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, thank you for listening. <laughs> See you next week. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay.